Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hello, and welcome everybody to season two, episode one of the EquiConnect equine podcast brought to you by McKee Panel Equine Services. I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Kyle Goldie. And I am Karen Fell. We are so enthusiastic and, and overjoyed to have uh, a special guest with us today, Dr. Marissa Markey. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Markey is a, how long have you been practicing for now? I have been practicing for five years now. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Dr. Markey practices out of our Campbellville branch. So yeah, there's, uh, I think, five vets there now? Six? I think I'm losing count. Yes. I think yeah. there are now six of us. Wow. Yeah. Busy place. All right. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Marissa? Sure. So I grew up in Burlington and in kind of the local horse community around there. I did my undergrad at Guelph and then took some time off after undergrad where I actually started working for McKee Pownell as a vet assistant. I worked as a vet assistant for about three years before deciding to go back to school and uh, going to OVC for my DVM. Awesome. And now here I'm back. Um, did you do an internship? I did an internship in Calgary at Moore Equine. Awesome. Uh, Hospital-based or... Were it was a mix. Okay. So we did a little bit of everything. Cool. And I know that we're going to talk today about one of your main interests being dentistry. That's going to be the focus of today's talk. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what got you interested in dentistry and then also, you know, what some of your other professional interests are? Sure. So first on the topic of dentistry, I guess, I it started for me in my internship. So out of Calgary, Dr. Dennis Rock, uh, he's the inventor of the power float, and he's a very enthusiastic equine dental specialist. And working with him, the enthusiasm is just contagious. And it's so great to be able to work on healthy horses, because sometimes that's not what we get to see, and just have that instant gratification of taking something that's a problem and fixing it almost immediately. Absolutely. And being able to bring so much extra comfort into horses' lives that they are excellent at hiding but you're able to find it and fix it for them. I think that's why I love dentistry so much. Yeah, that's a really good point. There are so many, so many things that, you know, present so acutely painful, not eating. And so many times in those situations, it's such a quick fix, right? It's just one little thing. And all of a sudden it's uh, this dramatic improvement. Like I'm thinking of, um, you ever seen a good uh, stick in the mouth? Oh, those case? are my favorite. Yeah, amazing, amazing. The horse just is seems like it's on death's door. It's incredibly painful. They're that drooling type of thing. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! You, you, you put the speculum in the mouth, and you'll take a look, and you're just like, oh, I I can fix this problem, no problem at all. Yeah, those are those are pretty great cases because it's just instant relief. And, it feels pretty good. Yeah. Any uh, any other particular interests? So I also recently uh, completed my veterinary spinal manipulation therapy course, which I guess nice. not so recently anymore. It's been over a year now. Nice. And I am really loving that as well. It's a Good. completely different way to interact with horses. For me, selfishly, it gets back to a place where horses like seeing me again. Mm. You know, you yeah. get into being a veterinarian because you love horses and then they take one look at you and turn the other way. Yeah. Yeah. So doing the spinal manipulation they appreciate it. They really seem to enjoy it. And it gives me an opportunity to relate to horses a little more the way I used to. Amazing. Amazing. Did you uh, did you ride a lot as a as a kid? I actually grew up showing Arabian show horses. 
Oh, really? No way. So I did that until I was, I guess, mid-teens. And then after that, school kind of took over my life. Yeah, yeah. Costume and everything? I Once just for Halloween. I never actually showed in the costume. That, that's, yeah. those are elaborate they yeah. are yeah they are fantastic horses yeah they are wonderful to work with they will go to the ends of the earth for you but now as Literally. a veterinarian they are terrible to work on <laughs> they really do they pick their people and if you're not one of their people watch out fair enough i didn't really know much about arabs you know up until a few years ago when i started uh, working at endurance rides and you know they're predominantly arabs and i, I really developed a an appreciation and a fondness for them because when you see a horse that's been out on trail for a hundred miles and comes in cantering over the finish line it just it's amazing they're incredible yeah it's absolutely amazing and they can't wait to get back at it and stuff it's pretty cool awesome so karen hello how's everything going good i'm excited i'm learning lots we haven't Good. even started talking about teeth. Just about your life. You're in Campbellville. I'm I'm learning new things. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rissy, you've talked about why you got interested in dentistry and everything like that. So how do you think uh, equine dentistry has changed over the years? Oh, my goodness. That, that question could take a whole hour yeah. all by itself. You know, when we started doing dentistry on horses, it was primarily just floating. They need to float. They need to float got to take off those sharp points. And it has evolved from that fairly basic concept of floating and taking off sharp points to a truly medical examination and oral exam for the overall health and well-being of the horse. And there's so much we do that is way more than just a float. And I think because of that, we're seeing our horses live longer, their teeth last longer, and giving them that longevity that we weren't previously. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The one thing I find with dentistry, as I'm sure you can agree, is it's almost like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so, yeah, maybe when when you're a student and, you know, you spend a lot of time just doing the average float and some horses' mouths are kind of wonky and you just kind of deal with it. But then as you learn more, you start to realize, why is this mouth this way? What can we do about it? Yeah, I think we're we're approaching the standard of small animal dentistry, and even human dentistry. They are, they have always been a level above us, but we're bringing that into equine medicine. For sure. And I think seeing the positive results. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've taken some extra training and that type of thing to develop your dental interest? Yeah, so I take the extra CE wherever I can find it. And obviously in my internship, spent a great deal of time with Dr. Rock. I am not board certified. There is a board certification for uh, equine dentistry, large animal dentistry. I'm, so I'm not board certified because I, I love the other parts of my job as well. And I don't want to stop doing them. Sure. But I definitely I have kind of this passion and interest in dentistry. So whenever I can, I take kind of extra CE courses where I can find them. So I think one thing we we really want to highlight is, you know, some of the myths about equine dentistry and ultimately stress the importance of it. Um, right. Because as as a field, as a profession, as we are learning more and more about dentistry, and we're learning that we can fix things and we can find things using the appropriate diagnostics. Yeah, we are able to make a, a bigger difference in in horses' lives. So what do you think some of the biggest uh, misconceptions in equine dentistry are? Oh, goodness. I think definitely that perception of it's just a float mm-hmm. and that it's just about taking sharp points off. 
because yeah. it's it's so much more about taking very specific sharp points and leaving others that are necessary and identifying abnormalities in the mouth before they become a problem. And obviously, you know, we don't always get to them before they've become a problem for various reasons, but then going in and providing that horse with comfort by being able to strategically make alterations in the mouth without taking away too much of their grinding surface that they absolutely need. So I think that that's the biggest one for me is that, you know, it's just a float. You just take those sharp points off. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. There's a word that came into my mind as you were saying that. And it almost seems as though as an industry, we've kind of commoditized dentistry. I don't know. I find you get the question from a lot of clients, how much can you do a float for? Right. Right. Uh, I've got 10 horses. How much to do their teeth? And I think it's probably important to stop thinking about it like a commodity, uh, one size fits all type of procedure, right? Because, well, there's lots of horses that really have no significant dental pathology and you can do a float on them and everything, everything's great. But, you know, as you say, as you learn more and more, you start to discover more and more things um, earlier in the disease progression, maybe, and that you can do something about, right? Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a great point. Because, you know, no two humans mouths are the same. And no two horses mouths are the same either. Right. And so they're not necessarily going to be the same procedure that needs to be done. Right. What, what are some of the things that have been missed maybe with, you know, routine dentistry over, you know, maybe the last 10 years that we're starting to see more of now and, and diagnose earlier in the disease process and, and treat better? I think definitely malocclusions. So when I say that the occlusal surface is the parts of the teeth that grind against each other to grind the hay. Um, and so when you're those two sets of teeth or two lines of teeth aren't meeting properly, then they're not getting full nutrition out of their food. And I think in the past, when we were doing dental floats without actually looking in the mouth, you're missing a lot of those malocclusions where things aren't meeting properly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that I find absolutely mind-blowing is the incisor issues mm -hmm. that geriatric horses that we're seeing more and more frequently because we have all these ponies and things like that that are living much longer lives. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That is definitely one that I think was underdiagnosed. And it's not that horses didn't used to get it. It's that we didn't used to notice it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and now that we're looking, we're actually finding a lot of these horses. So it's um, a resorptive disease. So uh, EOTRH, so equine odontoclastic tooth resorption hypersomentosis. Say that, that five times. That's yeah, why we job. shorten it to EOTRH. <laughs> yeah. And what it is is their incisors, so their front biting teeth, will actually start to resorb. And we're not entirely sure why. We're not sure why the body essentially starts to reject those teeth. But the teeth themselves at the roots will start to resorb and then lay down extra cementum, which is one part of the tooth. Um, and this whole process is actually very painful. The tooth becomes loose. Ultimately, the gingiva starts to recede and the horse will stop using their incisors. So that's something we, we try and start to notice now at an earlier stage, obviously. One of my favorites is just the two bite test. Right. So most horses will go for a bite of carrot, even if it hurts, but they will not come back for the second bite. So that yeah. is, that's the big first test is not wanting to bite hard treats with their front teeth, their incisor teeth. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's such a great test. What are some of the other clinical signs that, uh, that owners might notice, um, you know, and, and may 
uh, prompt them to have their veterinarian come out and take a look at those incisors. So when they're looking at their incisors, they'll actually start to see the gums start to recede. Um, so the tooth will become more exposed at the root. At very advanced disease, they'll start to get loose. Um, you'll also see kind of a bulbous shape to the roots underneath the gums. And that's that hypercementosis, so laying down of extra cementum. And then, unfortunately, also you can start to get a foul smell out of their mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and once you've had that smell on your hands. Yeah, oh. any any sort of rotten tooth. Yeah. You never forget that smell. It's oh. like an abscess, right? Yeah, yeah. it's stuck. Yeah. So it's a painful disease and horses spend a lot of their time chewing like they're supposed to. Right. And so I think we can really help them out. Unfortunately, we don't have a way to halt progression. Right. Hopefully that's still in the research somewhere. So right now our curative approach is actually just removing their incisors. Right. Which right. horses do incredible with. They can't obviously eat grass as their main source of food. Yeah. But you take out all of their incisors and... I've had more people who just thought they had a grumpy old horse that wasn't happy anymore. Yeah. That once we do that surgery, they call me and thank me for giving them their horse back. Yeah. It's amazing. I think deep down, we kind of have the, or there's that sort of impression that horses aren't particularly tough and that type of thing. But when you start to see some of these like chronic conditions and, and how much they've been weighing down on them physically and mentally and everything like that, they are really tough uh, for, for putting up with some of this stuff. So removing those incisors on those ponies and, and older horses that have really bad mouths. Yeah. It's like uh, you, you just added years to their their lifetime kind and of thing. quality years. Qual quality yeah. years, exactly. It's one of my favorite yeah. surgeries because yeah. you just feel like you're just giving them so much relief. The other one that I've seen, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, geldings, older geldings with really bad squamous cell carcinoma on their penises. Have you seen any of those? Yeah, I have a few of those that we've yeah. had to treat. I've, I've had a couple that actually go and have their penises removed. Mm -hmm. And... You'd think it would just be the most traumatic thing ever. Meanwhile, they have their penis removed. They come home, you know, five days later or something like that. And they're like bouncing off the walls. They're so happy again. And you realize that all that cranky behavior <laughs> that they've had is because they've had cancer on their penis for, you know, X number of years. Well, so. they're not like humans. They don't feel any lesser because it's gone. No, they're just, they just know the pain's gone. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. It's great. So I guess the, the moral of the story is that, you know, especially if you've really noticed a behavioral change and that type of thing, it is worth digging because there are opportunities to, to treat some of these things and make their lives better, right? So yeah, and that's, you know, that's part of every oral exam. And right. I think that's what we need to we need to get away from calling it dental floats. Yes. We just need a dental yeah, float, absolutely. annual dental float. Yeah, it's an oral exam. And there's a lot more to it. And checking incisors is a big part of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's not enough just to to open the mouth and float away or not open the mouth for that matter, right? It, it, it should begin with a with a careful look and make sure everything is where it's supposed to be and, and accounted for. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. I'm not sure every owner is parting their horse's lips and checking their smile. When was the last time you did that, Karen? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to ask actually, yeah, yeah, um, just ahead. because I've kind of seen it more frequently mm -hmm. um, going out on the roads with the vets, just about diastemas, because in doing the oral exams, I just feel like uh, we've come across them more often. And Absolutely. I was just yeah. wondering if we could just touch base a little bit on what they are and what we do to help with them. So diastemas are a gap between our teeth that allows feed and other material to get stuck between teeth. So horses' teeth should be very tightly packed beside each other. They're 
cheek teeth in particular, so they're big grinding molars, they should be very close to each other so that food can't get in between them. And because we don't floss our horse's teeth, we really need food to not get in between them. So when diastomas form, it's either because of a malocclusion, like we were talking about before. So one of the opposing teeth is pushing teeth apart for some reason, um, or just the way the horse is made, that when they're slowly erupting over time, they're drifting further apart from each other. When that happens, sometimes it's not a big deal and the food kind of gets stuck, but it doesn't really get stuck. It washes away with normal saliva. Other times, what we call a valve diastema, the food gets stuck and can't get back out and then Mm. is a breeding ground for bacteria, which then right up against the gum causes periodontal disease and pain. So one of the first things we do when we find a diastema is make sure that the opposing teeth aren't the cause. So that the tooth that's grinding into those teeth isn't slowly pushing it apart for some sort of reason and fixing those malocclusions because that Mm -hmm. might be all we need to do. Okay. But if we have one that's continually trapping food and causing that periodontal disease, the other thing we can go in with a special burr or drill and actually open that space wider so that food's not getting trapped as easily. Okay. So it has a a larger gap that it can get out. Exactly. It seems counterintuitive, but the larger the gap, the better. Huh. Yeah, they can be frustrating cases, um, and I, I've seen uh, I've seen a few lately where yeah. even what seem like very mild diastemas uh, seem to pack an incredible amount of feed, and it just starts to cause a lot of erosion to the surrounding gum tissue and everything like that. It seems to be very, very irritating. Yeah, it so. turns into a bit of a vicious cycle because yeah. once you get a little bit of food packing... Mm-hmm. It starts to break down, you get your bacteria in there, and then the gum gets angry and it starts to erode. So your pocket gets a little bit bigger, right. so more food can pack in. Right. Yeah. And eventually, somewhere in there, they need some sort of intervention. Mm-hmm. So, again, something best diagnosed sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I was just trying to think of some other observations. One thing I find clients do often, and I'm trying to kind of get out of this is the idea that, uh, hey, do you mind just having a quick look at that horse's teeth and see if they need to be done? I don't know that we're really accomplishing a whole lot in those quick checks. You know what I mean? Because realistically, it's we can only see maybe maybe three cheek teeth. Uh, you, You know what I mean? Even if we got the best possible look. So I think it probably makes more sense to just plan on doing regular dentistry. It may just be a routine float, that type of thing, because I think we still recommend floating being done annually, right? Just to maintain, to keep those small points down, but also to do an oral exam Mm -hmm. annually, right? Because the oral exam realistically needs sedation, right? We need the the speculum, open the mouth and and take a good look at at all those things. So, you know, to just kind of pop the mouth open, pull the tongue over and take a quick look while trying to avoid getting bitten is probably not the best approach to your horse's oral care. Yeah, I would agree. Whenever people ask me that, usually my first question is, when were they last done? Mm -hmm. And that is probably going to dictate my answer more Mm -hmm. than anything I see in that horse's mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I, I feel like I can only see maybe one or two of the first cheek teeth. Yep. Can't really see much else in an unsedated horse without a speculum. I will 
I'll do it. Like, yeah, I'll, you know, yeah. And what I'm looking for is I'm taking a deep breath and s- smelling how bad that mouth smells. Because if sure. there's a rotten tooth, if there's a big diastema, if there's food packing, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of that is going to tell me that yeah. it needs to be done sooner rather than later. Yep. I'll watch them eat yep. and yep. see how they're doing with that. And then I try and put them in a category for people of this needs to be done immediately. Yep. This can be done in the next six months or this can be done in the next year. Right. But there isn't a category that's this never, this never needs to be done. That isn't <laughs> right. a category right. for me. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's the, that's the thing is just, just having a quick look in the mouth doesn't necessarily constitute your annual checkup kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it, I agree. It, because the thing I've found is there's a lot of horses where like, let's say I'll, I'll just put an index finger along along each edge and make sure that the the enamel points are in a you know a, a reasonable amount they're not likely to be affecting the bit or anything like that and you know you, you say oh yeah we patients do for dentistry we should do uh, do a float at the very least and you open the mouth up and the back of the mouth is a disaster. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And, and then you feel bad that you made that horse wait. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it happens it happens more often than not where the first cheek, cheek teeth are look pretty good and like the back cheek teeth are are just just terrible and the mouth is all ulcerated and everything like that and you literally d- despite your best efforts to look at that without sedation without uh, speculum and that type of thing you had no idea how bad that horse's mouth was yeah i th- absolutely yeah. i th- i would say the majority of the problems we see are at the back of the mouth right and right. Th- that's what you can't see on those yeah. brief just have a look while yeah, the horse yeah. is standing in front of you. Exams. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was going to say that's one of my, uh, and going with you guys, learning experiences when you look at the front teeth from unsedated horses and yeah, it looks okay. And the owner says, well, let's just do it anyways. And you sedate them and you look and you're like, thank goodness. Like, look at the back of this horse's mouth. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff going on. And it's definitely a learning experience for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I saw a horse just recently that that had just massive, like it had some small hooks at the, at the front, and you know those are very easily addressed, and had ramps at the back on the lower elevens that would have been three centimeters long. So basically, oh wow, oh oh yeah, yeah, and and razor sharp, absolutely razor sharp. Now. I it would have been absolutely impossible for me to have especially given this horse's general behavior not saying it's bad or anything like that but just some of them will let you have a really good look and others won't there is no way I would have seen that in in this particular horse well I imagine his mouth is pretty painful oh, he probably it, didn't want you anywhere near absolutely it. absolutely you know I I've seen um as as I'm sure you have I've seen cases where those large uh ramps eventually can make their way up into well, there have been brain abscesses, right, that have been yeah. diagnosed because uh, ramps got too out of control and started to, you know, penetrate the upper arcade and everything. Yeah, when like those that. lower teeth get sharp enough and pointy enough that they're digging into the upper gums. Yeah, and yeah, that's, uh, that gets scary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So there's a lot that can be missed if we're just relying on a, a quick check. But uh, unfortunately. I guess the the point is that we need, as veterinarians, we need the opportunity to actually sedate the horse mm-hmm. so that we can have the thorough look that we need to do to to judge everything. Can we just um, talk briefly, just because you guys mentioned it about 
hooks, like where hooks are and what they can kind of their effect and and ramps as well. You mentioned too, that would be awesome. So I guess it all falls into the category again of malocclusions, but a lot of horses have, I would say more horses have an overbite than an underbite. Would you agree, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. In my experience, that's what yeah, I see I more of. Yeah, I haven't really. I think the only underbites I would have seen, there would have been some sort of trauma in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of horses have overbites, which means their upper jaw is slightly further ahead than their lower jaw. Those jaws are built to be symmetrical to each other so that when they're constantly grinding and their teeth are constantly erupting, they're grinding away at the same rate. But if their jaw is slightly set forwards, for example, with an overbite, then the very front of the first cheek teeth never grinds against anything. So that's going to start to form sharp hooks that never get ground away. Mm -hmm. And usually it mirrors in the back that the very back of the lower jaw also has nothing to grind against. That's right, because the upper jaw is more forward. Exactly. And so that's going to start to form sharp points at the back. And because nothing's ever grinding against it, it's just going to keep going and going and going until something either comes in and intervenes and takes it down. Or like Kyle said, it keeps going until it causes massive damage. And then the bacteria from the mouth gets into the soft tissues and you're in big trouble. Wow. Yeah, scary stuff. Well, absolutely. And it makes sense because in the way you're describing it, because often you guys say, oh, it has it has some hooks and some ramps. Like that's why it was great. You could explain that further as to why it makes sense that these would be in combination with each other. Right. Because it's a confirmational thing as much as anything. Right? It is. That's that's the horse's confirmation. And so that's that's how their teeth erupt, I, I guess. Really yeah. And you know, those really bad overbites we call parrot mouth mm-hmm. historically. Um, and as foals, you can go in and put braces on foals and try oh, and get cool. them back into alignment more properly so they grow normally. But it's not like every horse is getting braces for a mild overbite. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of horses that do just have mild hooks that need to be maintained so they don't become a big problem. <laughs> okay, now we're going to get into some controversial stuff. All right, let's 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 do it. Let's do power floats versus hand floats. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Uh, I'll be in the middle. I'm, gonna get, <laughs> I'm just sitting in the middle. <laughs> I'm a client. I don't want you going anywhere near my horse's mouth with that, with that tool. You're going to grind its teeth down to oblivion and uh, he'll never eat again. Your retort. I understand where the fear of power floats come from. We're basically putting a modified drill in the horse's mouth. It's it's mechanized. That I get that. It's noisy. It's scary. The big thing for me is that both tools have their time and place. Um, you should be good at using both of them if you're going to go anywhere near a horse's both mouth. Both meaning the hand power floats float and versus power hand floats. floats. Yeah. yeah. You know, power float being a brand name, but it's the brand name most of us have too, but a mechanized float. Yes. So both they tools both have, their, have their time and place. Yeah. And you should be able to use both and know which situations you need to use one or the other. Um, for me, using a power float, it's my preferred tool. Um, I can be much more specific on which points I'm touching uh, because it is a rotating disc that grinds as opposed to a hand float, which needs, it's like a nail file. You have to push and pull back and forth. So you can't possibly touch just one tooth. You have to touch multiple teeth if you're using a hand float. So with our power float, you can choose just one tooth to touch, just one sharp point to touch, just one hook to touch. Um, I, from a horse comfort standpoint as well, if you actually look at the mechanics of a hand float, it puts a lot of torque on their jaw when you're trying to grind back and forth again with that big file. 
that's hard on their TMJ. It's hard on their pole. It's hard on their jaw altogether. And your power float doesn't have that same issue. So you're not using any sort of force against the horse's body. You're just using the power of the power float. So that's my preference. I do think you need to be careful. You can absolutely take too much tooth if you don't know what you're doing. We don't want to take away their grinding surface ever. They need that to chew their hay, to chew their grain. We're just taking away sharp points and problem spots. So you do need to be careful with that. We do slowly but surely um, water systems are coming out to actively cool the float while you're floating. We don't, not everyone has it. I, I don't use a power sy- or a water system right now. I just take breaks and I make sure my float's not getting too hot. My teeth aren't getting too hot. I'm constantly adding water to the equation as well. Um, and what can happen if the tooth gets too hot? So if the tooth gets too hot, it actually can cause damage to the tooth root and the surrounding soft tissues. So that's, again, that's part of training. You never sit on one tooth for too long. Um, when you, things start to heat up, you just stop, you rest it, you put water on it. So you just, you need to be careful about what you're doing and knowledgeable about what you're doing. But I'll usually, for those clients too, I'll put my thumb on my power float and rev it right up. And, you know, it doesn't cut soft tissue. It doesn't hurt me. No, no. I yeah. usually make them do it too. Yeah, so they can yeah, it. yeah, yeah, absolutely. The one thing I find too is, um, you know, like I've, I've done full mouth floats completely manually. Good for you. Sometimes. That's a lot of physical work. It is a lot of work. Um, I can understand why. I, I think a big reason the power float was invented was to minimize strain on veterinarians too, because it, there's a lot of people who have been horse veterinarians for a long time who can't lift their arms above their head because, uh, you, you know, so I think it was a mutually beneficial invention. It helped veterinarians to be able to, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, to do their job efficiently. And it had a beautiful synergistic effect of also being better for horses' mouths. But uh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's certain places in the mouth that um, or and certain conformations maybe that you can't use the uh, power float as effectively. And so you'll use manual floats, um, uh, you know, intermittently throughout a, a procedure just to just to tackle those finer points, so to speak. Another advantage that that I really look at with the power float or any other mechanized floating device is uh, you can do the whole thing so much quicker. Oh, absolutely. Because to to do the whole thing manually and to do an adequate job takes way longer than than you you might think. Oh, and, so much uh, time for the horse to put up with it. Oh, absolutely. For them to hold their jaw open. Absolutely. I would say most dentistries, uh, most floats, we're trying to get done in ten ish minutes, something like that. Maybe maybe a little bit longer, but but generally, if they're going to be longer than that, we're going to give them a break partway through and just as as we've had dental fillings and things like that before you know you can only hold your mouth open so long before it's just flat out uncomfortable yeah i often wish i had a speculum when i'm at the dentist no doubt definitely hold my mouth open for me yeah but i agree i would say my my oral exam takes longer than my float absolutely yeah can we actually touch or did you want to i don't have anything better to say gotcha (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Karen's the brains of this operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thought we touch base on your oral exam. What's involved? Just so people kind of know what to expect when we're coming out to do a dental appointment. So I think the oral exam begins before anyone even really realizes it. And that's the external exam. So while we're asking you history questions about the horse, you know, checking their weight, see how their weight is compared to how much they're eating, make sure they're actually making use of the food they're, you're feeding them. Um, how they are in the bit. Like, we're going to ask you all of those history questions. Are they dropping food? Are they comfortable in the bit? 
um, that sort of thing. And then while we're doing that, we're checking the horse. Are they, do they have nasal discharge? Because sometimes that can be related to a dental or a tooth issue. Do they have equal muscling on both sides of their head? So their chewing muscles, are those equal? Sometimes that can be, if those are uneven, either that's a nerve problem or that's actually that they're chewing on one side instead of the other for a very long period of time. Do they have any sort of muzzle deviation? So again, that's potentially a nerve issue. So we're, we're checking all these things externally before we even get anywhere near that horse's mouth. Uh, I will often feed them a treat, see, or hay, and see how they eat it mm-hmm. so that I know how they're chewing, what side they're chewing on, if they're spitting things out. And if it's one of those older horses that I'm wondering about EOTRH, I feed them something and make them bite it with their incisors. I felt really bad. I did it the other day and this horse tried, gave up, and then turned his bum to me. Oh, he wouldn't even come back for the carrot. So for me, even before that horse has any external signs of incisor pain, that's telling me something um, Definitely. that I need to watch out for. And then when we actually get into looking at the mouth, obviously, we're going to open up those lips, have a look at the incisors and check for those external signs that we were talking about. Sedate the horse, rinse out its mouth really well, and then start looking inside. And we're going to look at, okay, those sharp points that we know all horses form on a year to year basis. What do those look like? How sharp are they? Have they caused any ulcers or calluses either on the cheeks or on the tongue? Do we have any malocclusions? So we've already kind of alluded to hooks and ramps. There's other malocclusions like waves. So instead of two flat washboards grinding against each other, the dental arcades look like a wave. So they're tall in some spots and short in other spots. Again, that's not normal and that's Mm -hmm. not efficient for chewing. Tall teeth, missing teeth, fractured teeth, diastemas. We're checking the pulp, which is the actual like blood supply, nerve supply to the tooth. So we can see uh, the areas of the pulp and see if they're compromised or if there's anything going on with them. And then a question I feel like I maybe used to answer incorrectly is people would always ask, do horses get cavities? Mm, yeah. And, you know, you'd often just say, well, they don't eat that much sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. part of the tooth called the infundibulum does have a um, potential to have essentially a cavity. So it's either it doesn't grow properly or for some reason it starts to erode and it starts to pack food and have some sort of necrosis of the tooth. So then we're checking for those as well. And those are interesting. We grade them in, you know, mild, moderate, severe and how much of the tooth they involve. Mm -hmm. And often those teeth that have cavities are more likely to eventually in the future fracture. Okay. Yeah. So whether we do anything about them in the moment or we just say, okay, this one has a low grade infundibular cavity and we need to watch it Mm -hmm. and then kind of have an idea of if it's getting worse over time if those teeth are fracturing more but all of that gets encompassed into our oral exam and then I feel like so much of it is second nature to me I kind of forget everything that I do meanwhile we're also checking all of the soft tissues so horses do get oral cancers they get like I talked about ulcers and calluses You know, we can often see bit sores or pinching on the lips from an improperly fitting bit. So we're checking all the soft tissues in addition to the teeth when we're in their mouth. Sometimes I think that the ulceration that you see in the mouth can be very interesting, I find, because there are times I haven't been able to actually see a dental explanation for it. Mm -hmm. So then you start to ask some other questions and you find out maybe this horse needs a lameness exam. Right. Because someone is having to maybe hold the the head 
more strongly in one direction yeah, uh, while, that, riding, that, yeah. while riding or driving for that matter. Uh, so I see it actually a lot in standard breds. The mouth is symmetrical and the teeth are good. There's no significant malocclusions or anything like that. And meanwhile, they're just raw on, on one side. Well, it turns out the horse is trying so hard to keep its head away from that direction, right? Because uh, especially for forelimb lamenesses, they're, they're trying to keep their head away from the lame side because that's avoiding extra weight on that, on that leg, right? So you can learn a lot more from, from the mouth sometimes. Another case I saw that was kind of interesting was a horse that had a suspiciously large amount of calculus on its teeth. Calculus is? Tartar. Ah, okay. Yeah, like big mounds, like golf ball size mounds of tartar on its canines and that type of thing. That's fun. Yeah. Oh, it's so... It's It's fun to remove. It's so satisfying to remove, but ended up doing some blood work on that horse and it turned out it had a calcium uh, regulation problem and ultimately was a manifestation of uh, chronic renal failure. Oh, wow. So the mouth can tell us a lot about the overall health of the, the horse as well. That's such a good point. It's all it's all about the whole horse. Mm-hmm. And oral mm-hmm. health contributes to full horse health and can tell you a lot. Absolutely. I was thinking about uh, sort of some systemic manifestations of oral disease. And I'm I'm not sure if you're if if you've seen anything like have you ever seen or heard of like a vegetative endocarditis or anything like that in, in horses? I'm alluding to the fact that um, they certainly can get them. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Bacteria within the valves of the heart. And, you know, we know anytime we do a dental procedure where we're causing bleeding in the mouth, they get bacterial showers. So, the bacteria from the mouth translocating into the bloodstream. Right. Yeah. So, if you've got, uh, you know, an unaddressed diastema or, and that's subsequently led to an abscess, then, you know, it does become sort of an open door to, the rest of the body for bacteria and all that stuff to to get in, right? Absolutely. So, there were a couple other controversial things that I wanted to talk to you about. All right. Okay. Let's get into it. Uh, next one is um, bit seat. Do horses need a bit seat? Okay. That you're just gonna just drop it like that. Just drop it like that. So I think there is a spectrum of bit seat. Okay. So historically, what was done and what we talk about when we're talking about bit seats is rounding the front of the upper and lower cheek teeth so that theoretically, the bit doesn't interfere with that tooth, I think was the thought. There is something to horses that have a lot of excess tissue in their cheeks and on the bars of their mouth, potentially the bit pinching those against sharp points on those first cheek teeth, but... The old bit seats were really aggressive, sure. really close to, if not actually compromising the pulp chambers at the front of that tooth, because essentially what was happening was people were going in and very aggressively rounding off the front of that tooth. And that's where your pulp chambers are. Um, and you need to be careful not to open those and expose them to the bacteria in the mouth. That's also where your nerve supply is. So that can cause some pain. So... I think there's a line between that really aggressive bit seat mm-hmm. and taking off just enough to make the very front of that tooth not sharp. Right. So that if you do have that excess tissue and the bit pushes it up against the front teeth, you're not causing soft tissue trauma with your bit. Sure. So yeah. I, 
That's kind of a yes and no answer. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I would say I probably spend more time on those upper and lower sixes than I do any other teeth in the mouth, you know, just because that's the the driving end, so to speak. But at the same time, uh, I, I think I've become less and less aggressive with it over the years, you, you know, as, as you start to learn more about teeth and um, maybe move further away from the the old ways of, of doing things, you start to realize, you know what, I don't need to take off a ton of tooth here. And it makes no difference to how the horse actually goes. You know what I mean? It's, it's so, yeah. And part of it is looking at every horse as an individual. You know, you can't sure. go in with a yeah. blanket. I always do a bit seat. Yeah. And yeah. then you find out the horse actually does bitless work. So <laughs> what, what are you doing yeah, in there? Yeah, Why yeah, are you yeah. doing that? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the goal is to make that area, you know, smoothish, comfortable. And, yeah, which is without compromising Yes, the absolutely, tooth. absolutely, yeah. Next controversial area, wolf teeth. I thought that might be where you're going. Yeah. It's all in the realm of what does the bit touch. Right, yeah, exactly. So what do you feel about wolf teeth? What do, what does the the governing body feel about them? So I'm going to clarify for people what wolf teeth are. Okay. Because I think there's a lot of confusion in that. And I think it's because there's two oh. teeth in the horse's mouth that are named after dogs. I've got, a, I've got a tooth about those other teeth. A tooth? Yeah, I've got another question about those. But we'll start with wolf teeth. So <laughs> yeah. wolf teeth are tiny residual premolars that have no purpose. They're in front of what we consider the first premolar. And not all horses have them. They can be on the uppers and the lowers. Sometimes they just have one. Sometimes they have two. Sometimes they have four. Sometimes they have three. I'll include three as well. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Don't want it to be left out. So they can't have an odd or even number of wolf teeth. That would be a more precise way to say it. Okay. 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 (laughs) And wolf teeth are not canine teeth. So canine teeth are those larger teeth that are set just back from incisors, either on the uppers or lowers. That are often, those are the teeth that get in your way when you're trying to bit your horse. And canine teeth are their fighting teeth. So canines and wolf teeth, different teeth. That's an important point. No one should try and take out canines. It's really hard work. Yeah, yeah. So historically, wolf teeth were just taken out. They were thought to be an issue. They would get in the way of the bit. They would cause pain. They just need to come out. Every horse gets them out when they're being gelded. And then the mares get them out eventually at their first dental. I think we need a shift. I think we are no longer doing evidence-based medicine and specific medicine when we just say all wolf teeth need to come out. Because realistically, when you look at most normal upper wolf teeth, they are nowhere near where the bit should ever be. They are tucked right up against that premolar. That is, again, the bit shouldn't be bumping up against that either. And if we're just taking them out on every horse, then we're subjecting the horse to a dental extraction it didn't need. That's sedation, that's blocks, that's that bacterial shower we talked about. And that's, you know, dental extractions aren't free of pain by any means. Anyone who's ever had dental pain knows that. There are times where they need to come out. There are some that are set further forward than they should be. And those do potentially get in the way of the bit. Some get fractured and those are painful. They need to come out. Some are loose because they're not normal teeth. They don't have a normal root anchoring system. Those probably need to come out. Lower wolf teeth, they do happen. And if the horse is ever going to be bitted, those need to come out. So to me, it's an individual basis. And I think horse people 
and horse veterinarians need a shift into treating it on an individual basis, which is harder to do. Horse people, in general, it's kind of hard to change their mind. And it, this is just how we've always done it. Yeah, like, exactly. We need to do better for our horses. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I think this might be a more of a broad topic, but you know, I think vets do face a lot of scrutiny and that type of thing when they do try to change the old ways. And that's kind of why I wanted to touch on these things. I, I guess the, the moral of the story is your vet saying that that wolf tooth doesn't need to come out is not them being lazy or incompetent or or anything like that. It's them representing uh, a shift, you know, a, a shift in the the knowledge base that, you know, not all, not every wolf tooth needs to come out right? I've also heard the saying that uh, no wolf tooth is a good wolf tooth. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it is uh, con- controversial, but I guess the moral of the story is the research and anecdotal evidence is starting to show that not every wolf tooth needs to come up. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to treating them as individuals. A lot of sure, our horses absolutely. maybe will never do bitted work. Sure. And then in that case, why why the heck are we doing extractions yeah, for yeah. a bit? And I've, I've definitely seen, like I've seen 10-year-old horses and stuff like that. And you say, oh, did you know he's got his, got his wolf teeth? I had no idea. And, I, and they say, well, should they come out? Probably not. Probably not. It doesn't seem to be causing them any problems, right? So I just just leave them alone. Uh, I, and then I have seen lots that, um, you know, especially in young, young race horses, I, I've seen that frequently it's reported oh this one is uh really having some trouble we take the the wolf teeth out that you know may on a judgment call you, you might think ah, i don't know that this is really going to do anything you take them out and sure enough all of a sudden you can ride the horse there really is an individual basis to it but i guess the moral of the story is that there there are opportunities where they don't really need to come out and you might as well just save the the pain and aggravation and uh, expense and everything like that especially if you're that agrees that this probably isn't a problem that's and i you know i say it, it's not evil to take out wolf teeth so i don't know that no, perception no. by any no. means you know we use blocks so they can't feel it yeah and careful surgical technique to extract the tooth so you know it's not evil to take them out i just don't think every horse needs them out yeah, yeah. but i did yeah. i had a young racehorse last week i think mm-hmm. and the trainer said to me this one is terrible in the bit sure so, like yeah. there's got to be something in that mouth and yeah. i opened up her mouth and she had a lower wolf tooth oh well there that you go had fractured by that point right because the bit had been bouncing around on it and sure I was like well there's your excuse i wouldn't be good for this either yeah 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 yeah, yeah absolutely so you mentioned canines before yep sure did Hey, Doc, um, my old vet used to just uh, grind those right down for me just to keep the bit out of the way. Do you mind doing that for me? Oh, canine teeth. So <laughs> here's what we actually know from the science. Yep. Canine teeth do not erupt continuously like the other teeth in their mouth. And when you look at them and like slice them up and look at them under microscopes, that pulp chamber that we talked about in other teeth, that is your blood supply, your nerve supply, the lifeline of the tooth. That pulp chamber is very close to the surface in canine teeth, and you are putting that horse at great risk of dental pain and dental disease anytime you touch those teeth with a float. I try and stay away from them as much as I possibly can because I do not want to cause damage to those teeth. Yes, they can be sharp. Yes, they can get in the way of bidding, but that is the lesser of the two evils in my mind. There is also a fair amount of research into whether or not that tartar buildup that we were talking about that can develop around canine teeth, 
whether that becomes much more severe in canine teeth that are floated because you are damaging its natural protective abilities. I think it does. I think so too. I, Every Anytime I see really bad ones, they look like they've been touched once upon a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're half the length that you expected them to be. And I think that was a fashion for a while was yeah. like really taking down canines. Right. So they were out of the way and they weren't sharp yeah. or whatever yeah. it was, but yeah. you're setting the horse up for more potential gingival disease, periodontal right. disease. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I would say in the last uh, probably five years, I, I haven't really touched them. There's the odd one that I might just touch slightly if it's maybe it, it had a little fracture to it or something like that. So it's got a weird point to on it or something like that. I think that's fair. Just, just tidy it up a little bit. But um, yeah, the idea of, of grinding them down and stuff, I, I just totally stay away from now. I, I do think the, the mouth is a lot healthier, just keeping them au naturel. Yeah. And I think the pulp chamber being, it's really variable, the distance to the pulp chamber and the canine teeth. And sure. so you don't have, you can't guess easily where it's going to be. Right. And yeah. because those canines aren't grinding against any other tooth, like the other teeth in the mouth, it's not constantly receding. Yeah. So it doesn't have a ton of protection and you're setting yourself up for a bad situation when you do that. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, You know, you look at how minor some of the abnormalities in your own mouth might be that cause you discomfort. You know what I mean? So like I'm just putting it out there that if it, let's say a, a tooth was... Uh, but like a canine tooth was ground down too much and you ended up with sensitivity, right? Every time you'd go to drink cold water, every day, you know what I mean? How do we know horses don't experience the same thing? I'm pretty sure they do. Oh, I think they absolutely <laughs> right? do. So we might as well, like if it doesn't need to be touched, just leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's an interesting point. I had someone ask me, so we had a tooth that clearly had some nerve sensitivity. It had fractured mm -hmm. and talking to the owner about, well, would they prefer cold water or warm water? Because which is going to bother the nerve more? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I we don't know. We don't know what horses prefer. So if yeah. you really feel like the challenge, then get them a bucket of each. And yeah, absolutely. We'll see which they pick. Yeah. Like, let's do an experiment here. Absolutely. I know I can drink gallons of room temperature water, but I can drink about three sips full of uh, of cold water, right? So. Do you have cavities, Kyle? <sighs> I've got. A, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in there. <laughs> Yeah, if you look at an x-ray of my teeth, it just lights up like a Christmas tree, all of the uh, fillings and stuff like that. I'm not proud of it, but, uh, you know. Oh, I, man, uh, and we haven't even talked about x-rays. X-rays of horses' teeth are fun. Yeah, let's talk about x-rays. We've already talked about the basis of our diagnosis for dental disease is the oral exam. But we've got another great tool for diagnosis of dental disease, and that is uh, radiographs. So... What do you think about radiographs, Dr. Markey? When do they when do we need them? Hey doc, do you think we should just take some as a baseline? Um, do you think we'd learn anything that way? Let's talk about it. So some people will do survey radiographs with their annual oral exam. Um, most of us, I would say, are only doing radiographs when there is a problem. When there's something we need to identify that we either see something of on the oral exam. Or there's more to the story and we know we need to look deeper because horses' tooth roots are so long, most of the tooth is hidden from view. On our upper teeth, that means that those roots go up and lie adjacent to their sinuses. And therefore, communication between the tooth and the sinus can potentially cause problems. Anyone who has ever had a horse with a sinusitis caused by a rotten tooth knows the horrible smell and the frustrating 
treatment that ensues. And then the tooth roots on the bottom teeth come really close to um, the bottom of the mandible. So in young horses, when they're starting to erupt and they start to get a little bit of irritation and swelling, we call them eruption bumps, but you'll actually see it bulging through the skin. And it's that the area around the tooth root has become a little bit inflamed. So there's a lot of tooth that we can't see on our oral exam. And radiographs help us put together more of the story. So absolutely, anytime there's some sort of pathology we need to delve further into, radiographs are our best friend. Doing survey radiographs, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love having pictures if we can have pictures, but it isn't necessarily the be-all, end-all either. Is that fair? I think. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I asked mainly because we just did a a lab um, on dental radiology, and I just thought thought it was interesting even radiographs of a normal horse you know one that doesn't have any known dental pathology there's always something that can be learned so yeah yeah, you can always find something yeah it wouldn't surprise me if you know as the years go by it does become more standard practice to to start doing the the survey radiographs and i've been surprised a few times by things that uh, are made much more clear when you actually see a radiograph as opposed to your visual exam. A corollary to that would be um, uh, foot balance rads for the farrier. You, you know what I mean? Like to help guide farrier because you can look at a lot of feet and you have a pretty good idea of what's going on. But man, do uh, radiographs ever clear up the picture for you? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you always find something. And what's harder than finding something is deciding what to do about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, absolutely. You, know, you can find a fracture on oral exam or, you know, pulp cavity exposure. And what you need to decide is, does that tooth need to come out or not? Right. And the radiographs are really going to help you give the picture of what's happening in the root. How much risk is there that there's potentially a tooth root abscess that's going to become a sinusitis? And, you know, those questions to make sure you make the right choice for the horse. Let's talk a little bit about um, extraction. So, you know, I've always been under the impression that we basically don't take out a tooth unless it absolutely needs to come out. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. I think especially because of the nature of the way horses' teeth wear against each other, they need that opposing tooth or things are going to be thrown off balance. And right. so as much as we can leave their dental arcades intact, we should try to. That being said, anyone who's ever had dental pain knows if a tooth needs to come out, it needs to come out. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So so there are some where pain is the bigger decider of whether or not that, that tooth needs to come out as opposed to it doesn't have sinusitis yet or it's not loose yet, so let's just leave it in. Yeah. yeah, and really, I think the more we get better at our oral exam, the better we can make that decision earlier before it gets to the point of infecting the sinus. Right. You know, monitoring those fractures and checking the pulp cavities and seeing if our probe sinks down into them and how many of them, how necrotic the tooth is before you get to the stage of like, well, it's got nasal discharge. Something must be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's as a profession, we are getting better at that. Yeah. No, that's a really good point because uh, yeah, there definitely are things that we can do to prevent a tooth from getting worse we're a little bit limited. It's not like in human dentistry where we can just, uh, you know, drill out the bad part and replace it with some porcelain or or whatever. People are playing with root canals and different uh, endodontics in horses, but it's certainly not mainstream yet. Right, right. Yeah. Next year. 
<laughs> no. There's always next year. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not. That's not right around the corner or anything like that. I would, I would say the coolest, the coolest thing I ever saw in vet school was um, what was his name? Ian Haas. Did you have Ian Haas at all? I'm gonna feel bad if I did, but I don't. No, think so. no, they canceled. They don't have the. Uh, they don't have the dentistry service at OVC anymore. But he used to run the dentistry service in small animal. He, did, I, I don't think he did anything with equine, but. One of the coolest pictures I ever saw, certainly during vet school, was um, a picture of a canine officer. So it was a, a dog with a dog with a job kind of thing. And I guess those dogs have to have four canines to keep their job. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Or at least in this particular jurisdiction, it did. So I don't know how much one of those dogs is worth, but there's a lot of money tied up in them and everything like that in terms of training and breeding and all that stuff. They're, they're fancy, fancy dogs, Absolutely. right? And, uh, so anyway, this one, this one dog, uh, lost a canine through injury somehow. And so I believe it was, uh, well, I'm not, not exactly sure which, which, uh, doctor it was, but they made a new one out of stainless steel. Ooh, scary police it dog. Was, it was, it was <laughs> awesome. Like, could you imagine? That is really cool. Do you imagine staring that down? Yeah, that? this Just dog. A, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be a bad guy with that a, day with a stain with a stainless steel grill. Oh yeah, with <laughs> yeah. spike collar on. Oh, yeah. no, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Making an image. Yeah, no, it was it was cool. It was really really cool. But yeah, so hopefully you know, uh, obviously they're able to do now. It's a lot easier in small animal because their teeth are a lot more like human teeth. So we can you can kind of take what we know about human teeth and 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 move it over into them. Uh, horses have completely different teeth, right? I don't know. I guess all I'm saying is hopefully as time goes on, we are able to come up with some more advanced endodontics, as you say, to preserve uh, some of these teeth. Because realistically, um, you know, I, I think a big part of saving some of these teeth is to take the affected tooth out of occlusion by reducing the the overall length of the opposing tooth right yeah to help to take some of the pressure off to stop that sort of wedge effect that it gets but you know apart from that we're fairly limited in what we can do to save some of these teeth and that's you know taking teeth out isn't easy it isn't easy on the person doing it it isn't easy no. on the horse and no. so i agree the more we can try and save these teeth yeah the yeah. better yeah the hard part, one of the hard parts, I guess, being that, well, like we talked about earlier, horses are tougher than we give them credit for. And sometimes you have no idea that there's a massive yeah. fracture in there until your annual oral exam. Yeah. And by that point, if there's going to be bacterial translocation up to the root, it's happened. Yeah. So they're yeah. not telling you the day they broke it and you can get yeah. in there and seal the root, you know, seal the pulps off, um, you know, unless it's maybe an incisor and you saw some blood. Yeah, for sure. I really like how you said that. Your annual oral exam. That's what it is, Kyle. Yeah, but that's the idea. That's what we should really be trying to get into clients' minds. That's is. what I'm, I'm really trying to change the language around it. I love it. And that's I love it. starting with you and me. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're not doing a dentistry. We're doing an annual oral exam. And if there's anything that needs to be addressed, we will address it. Exactly. Right. This actually leads perfectly to my question. Does it? It does. Does it so really? thank you. Okay. About our annual oral exam, often that's what's recommended and we're trying to encourage our clients to do. Sometimes at appointments, you recommend to come in six months or to get done twice a year. Can you just describe what situations that would be your recommendation versus waiting for the annual yearly um, oral exam? Absolutely. So... 
generally we, we kind of put it at a year because that's, we can only take so much tooth at a time. And when we're taking those sharp points, we generally start to see them come back by about a year. When we talk about doing, you know, a six month or a nine month or even a three month recheck, it's usually when we have abnormal teeth. So we have a big step. So a step is when the opposing tooth either is gone or isn't grinding properly and you get one tooth that gets really tall or those hooks or ramps we talked about and they have gotten to the point where they are out of control. And because you can only take so much tooth at a time without potentially opening a pulp chamber, you can only take about two or three millimeters off. Okay. And that when you're doing that, you're checking your pulps and making sure you're not going too far. If you're going to wait a whole year, you're never going to make any progress bringing that tooth back down into normal wear. So if you can come in kind of at a faster rate than the tooth is growing and continuously take it down just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, and your grinding pressure is actually going to make that pulp chamber recede. It's like when you're trimming dog's nails. Okay. So if you do it often enough, that pulp um, or the quick will recede and become smaller. Okay. With horses, if you go in more frequently, that pulp chamber will recede and go a little bit further down the tooth. So you can you can take tooth at a faster rate than it's growing and try and correct those abnormalities. So I've got lots of horses that I'll try and do either every three months or every six months Mm -hmm. for a period of time with the goal that we will eventually get to, it can be left for a year. That makes sense. It brings up a really important point too, though, right? Most of the horses that you see that have these dramatic dental pathologies steps and big waves and and things like that are horses that have missed an oral exam at least once in the last year <laughs> right yeah Most it doesn't of the time, happen overnight no no so it is amazing when when horses are seen regularly for uh oral exam uh, they their mouths are in such better shape than if they haven't had one for 10 years I actually read a paper the other day, too, that they're starting to see and try and age that the more we can keep them in normal wear and the more proper dental care horses have, the longer their teeth last. So they actually wear more slowly with natural grinding than they do if they're abnormal. Sure. Which means our horses that the rest of our medicine is keeping alive longer, their teeth are going to start to match. Wow. Which is exciting because... We don't always have that. You know, we have the your mid-20s, almost 30s horse that's losing its teeth, but right. the rest of it's still really healthy. Absolutely. And now you need to modify the diet so they're still getting nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. So that I think is really cool. If we can stay on top of those malocclusions and those abnormalities, we can actually prolong their life because we can prolong their tooth's life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does, it does stress the fact that you just have to stay on top of it. And especially when everything seems normal. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if there's a problem, it's too late in many circumstances. It's not that it's it can't be fixed necessarily, but a big part, I, I think one thing people don't realize is a big part of what we're doing when we are doing some, you know, some floating and that type of thing is we're really adjusting the rate that one tooth is going to grow compared to another right? A big part of the whole dentistry procedure is 
changing the height of one tooth so that the next tooth can grow, go down and take its its place, right? So I guess the moral of the story is a lot of what we can do to help horses depends on the rate of eruption of teeth. And when the degree of pathology greatly outweighs the rate of eruption, we're really up against it. You know what I yeah. mean? It, or in horses whose teeth aren't erupting anymore because they're significantly geriatric. Again, we've lost the opportunity to fix those things. Absolutely. And I think that also is a little bit the argument for starting your dental care and your oral exams early. Absolutely. In life. Yeah. Um, people often ask me, you know, when should they have their first oral exam or float? And my answer is generally definitely before you start doing any bitted work, because behaviorally, if they have mouth pain, I don't want them to associate that with the bit when you first start your training. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of regardless of when you want to start your bitted work, I would like to see them somewhere in their two or three year old year. So mm -hmm. if they have abnormalities starting, we start correcting them really early. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then every year after that for an oral exam. Yeah, I think definitely. Mm -hmm. There are some horses that you know, you do every year and you can say, okay, you know what? They barely start with sharp points by a year. So maybe it's a year and a half. Sure. But those horses, certain, I know that if something starts to smell funny or look funny or chew improperly, I'm going to see that horse before a year or before a year and a half. Right. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that Arabs seem to have particularly durable mouths? You notice that? I've I've known a few. I, I don't think I've noted that. Well, take take a look. Everything about them's extra that's, durable. That's what I've that's what I found. Maybe it's just my own bias. I just know we were talking about Arabs earlier, um, and I just find I've known I've known quite a few Arabs where you know you do your oral exam annually and you look and you're like, there is nothing that has changed since the last time <laughs> I I was in, in this in, in this mouth and just like their feet, you know what I mean. Generally, because they they're have, so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, they just don't want to cost their parents any money. That's, yeah, that's very the thoughtful. They're just trying to be very good. Feet, too. You know, a lot of them have like really, really tough, durable feet and everything. I, I'd be interested yeah, to see I'm what you're... I'm going to start to note it. I feel like I've found them to be, to develop sharp points much slower and that type of thing. It might be totally anecdotal and um, a, a completely ridiculous, but uh, but that I that's another thing you really notice is um, uh, from, from horse to horse is... Uh, how how soft some horses' teeth are compared to others. Well, and for me, I do a wide variety of dental procedures, and so you definitely notice it between babies and old horses. So, oh yeah, young horses have much softer teeth than older horses. Yeah, and even just physically on my body, doing a barn full of two year olds is so much easier than doing a barn full of twenty somethings. Yeah, yeah. Because their teeth are just so much harder. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. Even with power dentistry. Yeah. That raises another interesting point, sedation-wise. Because not only are their teeth softer, I find young horses sedate a lot more predictably. You know what I mean? Like, if I have a barn full of three-year-olds or something like that, that, um, that we're going to be doing some floating on, I, I, don't, I don't worry about that at all. But a barn full of 25 year olds it can be a different experience i think and again especially from a sedation point I of agree. view because I, I just find the drugs don't they, they just don't respond the same way so i i think that's important for clients to realize like your vet 
<laughs> is doing the very best they can. And sometimes the, especially older horses, I find just don't respond to sedative drugs the same way. I find um, very often you'll get horses that, uh, and I know where you're gonna, how you're gonna respond to this, um, but I find very often, especially in older horses, you get horses that are literally trying to fight you on the front end of the horse and trying to fall down on the back end of the horse. And there's a real compromise because all you wanna do is a good job, but it's really hard when you're trying to- Those horses can be very frustrating. Yeah, when you're trying to manipulate both ends. Now, I know one thing you're gonna say in response to that. Go ahead. So a big thing for me is the big question mark is pain. Exactly, yeah. And is it because they're experiencing pain? And for me, that can be incisor pain. Those horses will never settle into a speculum. Usually they'll be perfectly sedated until you open your speculum. Sure. And then they're like, oh, heck no. Yep, yep. TMJ pain. Sure. For sure. And then neck pain. Yep. And I find some of those horses do a lot better if you lower the way you're holding their head. Yep. Um, and then I do, I have a lot of old horses that they get butte the day before the butte morning of, and they get butte the day after, and they have gotten a lot better and more predictable in their sedation. Yeah. I think that makes a, makes great sense, but it really speaks to the degree of pain that they are potentially in because, you know, we don't really have much in our arsenal that is more powerful against pain than our sedative drugs. Absolutely. Like if you have a horse that's acutely colicky and you just need it to be more comfortable quickly we get to give it sedation not because of its sedative effects but because of its analgesic effects it is literally the most potent thing that we can give them right and so if they're dealing with that degree of pain despite having a considerable amount of sedation oh more uh, than you uh, would uh, give a colic yeah yeah disproportionate to the uh level that you would anticipate and like at least twice as much that you might give the average three-year-old or something like that you know um yeah it really speaks to the amount of discomfort that they're going through so i think that's uh, that's an important thing for uh, clients to realize is uh that um pain can be a component of it and so administering some uh non-steroidals in you know, around that time, uh, probably does make good sense. I had another horse that, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get near it with a, with a power float. Its teeth didn't seem really bad or anything like that, but could not get near it. And I like, ended do up, you think it was a noise sensitivity or you couldn't touch the teeth with the I float? Don't, I don't know. I think it was more vibration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I could do it with the hand floats. No problem. Um, so yeah, it might be the vibration. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Very, very old strange. horse. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think those senile 20, teeth. Probably 25-ish, something like that. Those senile teeth that aren't well anchored, I do think they're maybe a little more sensitive to that vibration. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the the hand floats were, you know, very, very useful for that. And I'm glad I travel with them, you know, in those mm-hmm. situations. And you're like, oh my goodness, this horse is ready to go. And I, <laughs> I am not making any progress otherwise. So there, there does seem to be some flexibility because, yeah. There's, there's not a lot of predicting to it. That's why it's better just to consider it an oral exam, right? <laughs> and then we'll go from there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really like it. Karen, what's up? I've asked all my questions. You sure? Yeah. I, okay. I brought a fun tidbit for you guys. <gasps> oh, wait. I love fun. Tidbits. I have a fun fact. Okay. Can't Although, wait. Kyle, you're kind of that, you're one of those people that knows fun facts. So I'm afraid you already know this. <laughs> okay. So. I've got I've got one for you after. Okay. I've got none. Fun facts? It's not a... It's just it's just so fun and it brings me a lot of joy. Go ahead. Okay, so 
I had someone ask me this when I, I was lecturing at the chiropractic course. Um, and someone asked me, why do you guys call it floating? And I had no idea. I don't know. I've been calling it a float since I was eight and yeah. my horse got one. Right? I don't know. Yeah. You don't know. No, that makes I'm me so, so excited. happy. Yeah. <laughs> so it is called floating because hand floats and the procedure are very similar to a thing they do in masonry when they float bricks. Oh, it makes perfect sense. So they round off the corners of bricks and it's called floating. Whoa. Fun fact. That's so cool. That's brilliant. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes total sense. I think as horse people, we just think it's a normal word, but it really but isn't. But it's not, yeah. yeah. No. We we co-opted it, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes that yeah, makes sense. So it comes from sense. masonry. Oh, that's so cool. There's a lot of pressure for your tidbit, I don't know. Yeah, mine, mine might have to get filtered out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, we, we should know the answer to that question. <laughs> People ask all the time and I was, I, you know, I'm just, yeah. I used to just say, I don't know. You know, it just is because it's you know, a float. Because we float it. Yeah, it's, it's a float. You know, it's a float. But no, it's, that's, that's why. <laughs> because apparently Mason's yeah. yeah, no, I love it. Too? Yeah, do you watch, my, you watch Netflix. Doesn't everybody? Are you whispering did you, that? Did you did you watch did you watch Sarah Silverman's special on I Netflix? Didn't. Okay, you should watch it. It's amazing. But uh, there's this, there's this one. <laughs> is scene. this the tidbit? <laughs> the, the tidbit is watch Sarah this. Silverman's special. <laughs> She's got this one story that's just I just find it like the most joyous thing. She had this epiphany one day because she's talking about squirrels and how they you know forage for nuts and things like that and. She had this epiphany one day and just the look on her face when she says it, she's like, squirrels plant trees. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the cutest thing ever. You're like, I don't think I ever really thought yeah, about it that way either. Exactly. They get the, they find all these nuts and then they bury them and they forget where they are. And then squirrels plant trees. Yeah. And saving the earth one squirrel at a time. Exactly. I just thought it was the sweetest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Squirrels plant trees. That's a great Of course fact. they do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of that, but do we have anything else that we need to talk about? We t- kind of touched on extractions. That might be a topic for another day. I think we've talked about sinusitis um, a-, a little bit, how sinusitis is the kind of the end result of, mm-hmm. yeah, because there's a fine layer of, of, bone basically separating tooth roots and sinuses so if you get a bad infection at a tooth root and it starts to wear away at the bone all of a sudden the two communicate and yeah smelly right mm-hmm. dr markey thank you so much for uh for taking the time to talk to us today well thanks for and having me guys no, no problem thank at all you. i think the most important thing we're taking away from this is we have to start thinking about equine dentistry differently it's not how much does it cost for a dental right? I think, I think it's important to try to shift away from that. And let's start thinking about our horse's annual oral exam. And it's take so it from much there. more than a float. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now we know what a float is too, which yeah. is so important. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Karen, any parting words? No, thank you so much. Uh, don't forget to send us some feedback um, about future episodes. Any questions you have, we can pass along to Marissa. That would be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people. Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.